Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, can we talk about road salt? I know, I know. It's a little bit early, but uh, I don't know if you've been noticing. They've been piling it up. They're getting ready. It's almost road salt season. Crews in the United States alone pour uh, and spread more than 24 million tons of road salt prior to, during, and after what they call winter weather events. Winter weather events. Yeah. You know them as like ice storms, snow storms, hail storms, these, these kinds of winter weather events, freezing rain. It's all it's all coming. So it's almost road salt season. And they spread uh, road salt on the roads because salt has a particular power. And that power is to lower the freezing temperature of water below 32 degrees. So when the salt mixes with ice and snow, it makes it possible for the the plows to like more easily remove the slush than they would if it had turned to ice, right? I mean, or, you know, got, got packed down snow and become ice. So there you go. It's uh, it's to keep it slushy. Um, so you and I actually have a better chance of driving uh, on a road in a winter weather event that has been treated, is being treated, and will be treated with, uh, with ice. I mean, with salt as opposed to ice because, you know, we can't drive on ice. So there you go. So... This is not what Jesus had in mind when he uh, spoke these words recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. So I I just felt like uh, reminding us that it's road salt season or almost road salt season and what that's all about before Jesus talks about there being like no value in salt that's thrown upon the road, because that's what it's going to sound like he's talking about, but that's not actually what he's talking about. So he's not talking about your road salt and mine. Growing your faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You can't resalt the salt is the point. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, see, that's where it sounds like road salt is not an important thing. But uh, the, the, the salt that Jesus is talking about is the salt that is no longer salty uh, can no longer do the things that salt uh, functioned for in the culture uh, of the day and time in which he spoke these words. And so what they used that like leftover non-salty salt for, they threw it out into the road and it filled in the cracks between the, the pavers. That's really what um, he's talking about there. It's, it's, it is still good for something. It's actually good for filling in the cracks between the pavers and the road, but it's not good for the things that it's supposed to be good for. So, uh, I, th- I felt like since road salt season is drawing near, we might consider what it means today to be the salt of the earth. And um, we could use all kinds of, uh, of illustrations and uh, object lessons, and many of them are out there. 
many, many, many object lessons out there related to being the salt of the earth. And so if you just want to familiarize yourself with a number of them, you just Google like salt of the earth object lessons and you're just you, you might be amazed how many of them there are. So I thought it would be fun today to talk a little bit about road salt as an object lesson. Um, so when we talk about the object lessons that are out there designed to teach the salt of the earth verse to children, um, you will see ones that are out there uh, about savoring the savior, uh, helping to season the conversation with goodness, beauty, and truth, how to serve as a preservative um, of that which is good, beautiful, and true in a culture that is increasingly drawn to evil darkness and lies because the light of the world verse uh, falls immediately on the heels of the salt of the earth verse. Some of um, these object lessons for kids feature like a chemistry lesson of sorts. Others include salt water, um, the way that salt conducts electricity, the use of salt as a preservative. Um, some include the use of salt in for its healing properties. Think here about soaking in Epsom salt or the cleansing power of salt water. I mean, although painful, um, it's very, very effective for cleaning out a wound. Salt has so many uses, right? Um, and let's be honest, let's be honest with ourselves. Salt substitutes, no match for the real thing. I don't, I don't care how good you think your salt substitute is, it's, it's no match for the real thing. So if you've been uh, instructed to follow a low-sodium or salt-free diet, then you know the value of salt in cooking, and you also know the power of just a little pinch in enhancing flavor. And all of those salty facts um, can be applied in a conversation about Jesus's teaching to his disciples about being the salt of the earth. I, I am not sure that I have heard an object lesson about road salt. Now, maybe you have because you live in a place where road salt is an entire season. Um, but here were some things that I came up with as I was thinking about road salt as, uh, as, as the conversation starter for the salt of the earth passage today. Uh, road salt is actually made of the exact same stuff as table salt. Um, and so I think that's important to note. It's just that road salt is the unrefined version of table salt. So there's an opportunity to talk about what it means uh, as a Christian um, to be refined, to submit to the refining process of the Holy Spirit. I mean, a Christian who is still coarse um, needs to submit to the process of sanctification, needs to submit over a lifetime of being refined by the active work of the Holy Spirit. You know, that 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 fire, right? Um, so this is a conversation to be had actually among Christians uh, about salt and the variety kind of the or the variety and kinds of saltiness referred to in the culture. Like we don't want our speech to be salty in the same way that a sailor's speech is salty. We want our speech to be salty that helps people savor the Savior. Um, if you've ever looked closely, the unrefined form of salt it still contains impurities. That's the whole point. That's why it's gray and not white. So when we talk about refinement, um, it's actually a, a metallurgical term. It has to do with metal, removing impurities from metal, which leads us back to that chemistry conversation that we might have had with our kids as an object lesson because there is actually something metallic about salt. Salt is made up of a metal and a non-metal, also one of the reasons it conducts electricity. Um and so in the case of road salt, it, 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 you know, it has a more refined friend, and that's table salt, but they're both sodium and chloride. 
sodium being the metal, chloride being the nonmetal. And so the impurities are literally anything else that's in the salt beyond uh, the sodium and the chloride. So there you go. Sanctification is the process through which the Christian is refined, like metal and like salt. So let's be salty today, uh, uh, literally in the good way, right? So what's it good for? Well, it's good for um, more than just throwing out there on the road, although for a lot of us, the road salt season is also good. All right, the First Amendment and uh, freedom to speak your mind and to do so in public uh, is one of the things secured and guaranteed by the First Amendment to the Constitution in the United States of America. And uh, as of yesterday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals um, uh, affirmed again, reaffirmed that the government of the United States uh, cannot uh, cannot block um, social media companies from posting what Americans have to say. And so this was a, a ruling in relationship to the uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, which you may not even know exists out there, but they were seeking to police what they call America's, quote, cognitive infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's always somebody up to something trying to uh, trying to restrict places and spaces uh, for where we can speak freely. And if you say to yourself, well, you know, it's probably good that the government is restricting things that are happening online. Just recognize that there are those who think that Christians um, engage in hate speech. And so if you like posting Bible verses online, you should be uh, happy with this ruling by the Fifth Circuit yesterday. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is going to join us. We're going to continue a conversation about the freedom to speak, the freedom to speak our minds, the freedom to do so uh, in the culture in which we live today and what it looks like for those liberties to be secured. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, a person with a very well-developed cognitive infrastructure, and that is Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Mark. Uh, sometimes my cognitive infrastructure feels a little rickety, <laughs> so I appreciate the good words, but it doesn't always doesn't always feel that way. Uh, let's shore up the infrastructure of our thinking today, shall we? <laughs> let's do our best. All right, so um, we we learned um, early on in uh, in vacation Bible school and Sunday school that we weren't supposed to take a verse completely out of context and just you know slap it up as a bumper sticker on anything. Like context actually matters. Um, we grow in our understanding of this over time. I came across a a term that is new to me, but it means the same thing, and that is text jacking. Um, so what does it mean to text jack? the Bible, and and who is up to this nefarious activity? Yeah, I think the equivalent here would be hijacking or carjacking is sort of how this is being used. Um, and in this particular case, we're talking about uh, the use of Scripture, uh, ripping it out of its context, out of its proper possession, if we want to think of it that way, um, and then using it for your own purposes. Here, we're, we're interested right now in politicians engaging in text jacking. And so pulling a piece of scripture out of its rightful context, twisting its meaning in such a way to appeal to voters. Um, This is extraordinarily common. If you look throughout U.S. history, if you look in current presidential politics and lower levels of politics, extremely common to listen to politicians speak in religious terms. Uh, Also very common for them to misuse uh, those verses. Um, one, one example, um, you know, that 
that somebody might point to would be someone calling a book of the Bible by a name that is a little odd. Like instead of calling it uh, First or Second Corinthians, you know, someone might refer to it as Two Corinthians. That might suggest that you saw it on a piece of paper, but not were not necessarily conversant in the terms. Um, being asked a question about your favorite book of the Bible, um, and and someone saying, actually, what's your favorite book in the New Testament, and answering with an Old Testament book instead, um, or misquoting, misrepresenting, pulling things out of context. I think that as Christians, um, we probably we probably see it and hear it, but we don't always point it out. Would that be fair? Uh, I think that's probably fair, uh, but I think you might you may be being gracious here. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of us just sort of passively consume it and don't mm-hmm. really critically screen for this kind of thing. Because um, often the rhetoric is such that it makes us feel good. I mean, you can understand why a politician would do this. I mean, it's a shortcut straight to your heart. I mean, it's it's an effective way to speak a language that's very near and dear to believers. And it creates this bond between the listener and the speaker that's hard to forge otherwise. And it's just such a temptation um, that I think many of us just listen and just let it wash over us because it, it resonates with us so powerfully. But I think we need to be critical. I think we need to have that filter up and say, you know, I'm not sure I really like this uh, because it's just ripping it out of context. And in the end, a disservice to scripture. Um, and I, you know, I want to be clear if someone were to say like uh, President Trump did, you know, one or two Corinthians, that's okay. I, 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 you know, if you're running for office and you're trying to speak language, I can understand that to some extent, but then be very clear about who you are. You know, don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Um, I'm looking for integrity here. So if you really are mm-hmm. a strong believer, you should be conversant in the language and you should use the scripture properly. If you're not a strong believer, be honest about it. And that's what's most frustrating to me is just this desire to put on a religious face when you campaign, whether you're religious or not. That's really the, to me as a believer, that's the insulting part. Yeah, I think that it would be, this may be true of each of us and all of us, like, right, we have a canon within the canon. We have particular books or passages of scripture that we tend to turn to more often or lift up more frequently. Um, We have we have, in a sense, a selective Bible. Um, yes. That that I absolutely see. I witness that fairly frequently. I also think that politicians are particularly adept at um, saying a portion of a verse of scripture and weaving it into a larger um, uh, a, a larger speech or statement, and doing so because they know it is going to positively itch my ears, right? It's, it's, I am going to hear it. Other people in the culture aren't even going to hear it because they don't know what it's drawn from. I am also going to hear it from my particular positive perspective um, of scripture and, um, and God. And they may or may not mean exactly the same thing when they're using it. I, there is a particular candidate for the presidency right now who is not a Christian. He's very open about not being a Christian, He's a person of an alternative faith, uh, faith alternative to Christianity, but he frequently uses words and phrases that to the Christian ear sound Christian, even though that's not what he means. 
Um, you know, it's not what he means when he uses the term faith. It's not uh, what he means uh, when he, I mean, you know, it, 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 when he uses the term God, he does not mean the same thing that I mean when I use the term God. And so that's what you're talking about when you talk about having a critical filter. Yeah, it, it is. Um, <clears throat> I think probably the classic example in American politics is the shining city on a hill. Uh, mm. That phrase is an awful lot. Um Ronald Reagan probably most famously used it in recent history. It was used by Abraham Lincoln and John Winthrop, the old-time governor of Massachusetts way back in the day. Um, And that resonates, obviously. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And when you talk about a city on a hill for believers, that just has an automatic hook right to the very core of who we are. But when politicians use that phrase, they're talking about America as a Mm -hmm. beacon of hope. Well, I like the idea of America as a beacon of hope. However, that's not at all what Christ is talking about in Matthew 5. He's not talking about America. He's not talking about politics. Uh, He's not talking about uh, what governments do. He's talking about how we as believers are a city on a hill. We can't hide ourselves. The world's eyes are going to be upon us. And for good or for bad, that's the, the reality of who we are as believers. And we shouldn't hide that. That's a very different message than sort of a positive, feel-good, hey, look at how well we've done as a country. And so, yeah, it's it's tricky. You know, I can understand why politicians do it. But uh, for me, my hackles get raised a bit when I hear that kind of approach to Scripture. Yeah, speechwriters um, definitely know what they're doing in terms of their inclusion of uh, of phrases of, of Scripture. So, yeah, this is one of those things to be wise to in the culture today. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith here in just a moment. Um, we're going to brief uh, everybody in on a decision by an appeals court. We talked in the past about um, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and some of the challenges they were facing in, on particular college campuses in terms of um, uh, of who could serve in leadership. It also applies to uh, FCA groups on high school campuses. And so we're going to take that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Um, All right, Mark, why don't you just read us in on what happened in this appeals court ruling um, in the Ninth Circuit? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting case. Um, it involves the Fellowship of Christian Athletes um, at a pioneer high school in San Jose, California. Um, the school, you know, the FCA had been active in the school for 20 years. Um, no consequences, no uh, punishments, no detriments whatsoever on the record. Um, and then in 2019, uh, an employee, a teacher at the school, uh, came across the statements of uh, sort of the doctrinal statement as well as the as the organization's statement about sexual purity. Um, and the teacher posted them on the whiteboard and then made it very clear what, that he was offended by this. And he began to make this uh, sort of a personal cause and took it to the administration and lobbied the administration. And, and eventually FCA was, um, they were not recognized, no longer recognized by the school as a viable student organization. So they were denied meeting space. They were denied um, the ability to schedule things. They're denied the ability to participate in student fundraisers. Um, they were denied the ability to advertise in school media publications. And so they're really dis excluded and discriminated against um, uniquely compared to other student groups. So FCA eventually files a lawsuit. Um, this gets pretty ugly at different points. Their meetings begin to get overrun. Uh, students protest um, and begin to uh, you know, engage in acts of discrimination, to say the least, uh, against the FCA. This suit worked its way through the system. The federal district court first ruled in favor of the school, um, and then that went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Ninth Circuit Court has turned it in the other direction, has overturned the federal district court, um, and sided with FCA. Uh, there are different legal grounds for this, and we can talk about that, free speech grounds as well as uh, free exercise of religion grounds, um, but I think an important case I'm not sure it'll go all the way to the Supreme Court because the, the Ninth Circuit's decision fits pretty well with precedent. And so because of that, this case probably stops here. The um, the treatment of an adult uh, and the suppression of the views of students by that adult is probably the part of this that I find um, most disturbing. This, this quote-unquote teacher... Uh, I mean, he is a teacher. Um, you know, he he says, "Look, I am an adult on your campus, and these views are." And um, you know, it's not even printed because there's an obscenity used. And he's speaking yep. here to a um, a committee of the school, yep. and he says, "They they have no validity." Um, and then in talking about, I assume his own gender identity or sexuality, he says, "It's not a choice. It's not a sin." I'm not willing to be the enabler of this kind of, quote, religious freedom anymore. Um, if that view is one widely held in the culture today, and I assume that among some, that is exactly uh, the view that is held, um, it, it, it is going to become increasingly difficult to speak the truth of the biblical gender binary and the 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 biblical mandate of male female marriage and male female um sexual union um it's just going to become more and more difficult not less yeah there's no question i think that's the that's the great fear as we look to the future on these kinds of issues um i think we can take some comfort you know there's nothing that's permanent about the supreme court but we can take some comfort about the supreme court uh the current court has been extraordinarily protective of religious liberty, uh, probably more so than any court in our history. 
and uh, they would have no problem uh, making a decision in a case like this. Uh, what they're really looking for from the court's perspective is when government acts with animosity toward religion, and clearly what that teacher was doing was motivated by animus, not by uh, objectivity, not by reason, but by animosity. And so I understand uh, religious claims can be offensive to people, uh, but it's also true that many claims that people make can be offensive to other groups. And so what we really have to understand is that we don't have a freedom from being offended and a freedom from being confronted with alternative points of view. And the court's been pretty consistent about maintaining free speech when it comes to the, this perspective, as well as free exercise of religion, which is obviously often a source of those alternative perspectives. And so uh, this is an easy case, according to the court's precedents. But boy, it does feel reflective of a larger cultural problem. There's no question. Well, and it's from five years ago. I mean, we're talking about the academic year of 2019-2020. Right. Um, and so uh, whoever was in high school at this high school at that time, you know, is certainly no longer in high school. Um, right. And the students who um, who experienced this. Right. I mean, I don't this is little satisfaction um, to to those students and their families. I guess this is one of those times, in my view, where, you know, justice has taken an awfully long time to arrive. No question. Uh, and I can't imagine what they went through uh, when your meetings get overrun mm. by your fellow mm -mm. students and protesting and chanting and ridiculing you. Um, it takes a good bit of strength of character to go through that. And so hopefully they came out on the other side stronger and sure in their faith. But um, you can understand how it would be pretty traumatic. Yeah. Hey, let's be prayerfully supporting. Um Christian families and Christian students, Christian teachers, Christian administrators out there in the uh, educational environment today. So please do so in your own community. Um, uh, thank you again, uh, each and every one of you, for your joyful, enthusiastic, and generous participation in our Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser last week. Um, uh, it, to the overflow of your gifts uh, that came in over the weekend, um, all that being added together, let me just... Uh, Proclaim to you and uh, and declare and say with deepest gratitude, your faith radio is fully funded. So uh, the budget is met. We stand ready to say yes when God invites us to join him in reaching out to more and more people with the good news of the gospel. Uh, and you're making that happen. So, so thank you. Um, one of the things that people also share with us during our fundraising events um, are their prayer concerns. And so thank you um, to those of you who... Uh, took the time to share your prayer concerns with us. We are uh, here at Faith Radio praying over and through each and every one of those, but, you know, there's like 1,300 of them. So thank you so much. Um, uh, and so would you be praying for others who are listening right now? Um, pray for the salvation of those that we each and all love um, who do not yet know Jesus. People have asked us to be praying for physical, financial uh, familial, uh, all kinds of needs. Um, many are grieving, um, and so we're grieving with them. Uh, many are rejoicing, and we're rejoicing with them, and um, and we're praying prayers of thanksgiving over it all. So thank you so much. Several people asked for prayers um, for their pastors, and that was a good reminder that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So let me encourage you to be praying um, for your pastor We've got all kinds of resources posted for you at MyFaithRadio.com um, related to 
uh, ideas and ways that you could show appreciation to your pastor during this Pastor Appreciation Month. So check those out at MyFaithRadio.com. Our friend Kathy Branzell is going to join us next. We're going to talk about how we can be praying for the nation um, and praying the news of the day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Kathy Branzell is back from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can visit with Kathy and the resources we're going to talk about today at nationaldayofprayer.org. Good morning, Kathy. Morning, friends. How are you? Good Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's fall, so I'm good. I do, too. I I love each of the seasons, but uh, this this one, I, I love the change into this particular season. Yes. Agree. Yeah. So I'm looking here um, at nationaldayofprayer.org, and uh, okay. I'm I'm looking at this piece called "Living Out Christ-like Core Values." Um, yeah. Whatever you do, uh, do your work heartily, as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. You want to reflect with us on this? Yeah, and um, thankfully I got to talk with you, I believe in September, at the beginning of when we were praying over business and how work is worship. And in this glory story you're referring to on our website, um, had the opportunity to interview an extraordinary woman, Rebecca Contreras. And get to know her and and just grow in our friendship as she talked about how people, loving, serving people is at the core of everything she does and everything that she's done throughout her career. I want to encourage everybody to just read and be inspired by this glory story on our website um, because she went from being a single mother um, on welfare to working in the White House, and now a millionaire businesswoman. And at her heart, uh, everything she did, everything she thought, every decision she made in the business world, we always think church and serving, but in the business world, was based on serving and loving people well with the love of Jesus. Yeah, it's so good. Um, her, her glory story is, you know, is about this heart for service that God cultivated within her. I fell in love with serving and loving people. Um, it almost yeah. doesn't matter then what your business is, right? If you're, right. if, if you're in it to serve the Lord and love people, um, then, you know, as she says, it doesn't matter if your business is a family owned taco truck or a multi-million dollar tech company. If you're in it to serve the Lord and love people, um, then it's going to be a blessing both to you and others. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, all of us lay our head on a pillow and think, you know, what did I accomplish today? Or what did today look like? And um, if you can lay down and say, boy, I delighted my Heavenly Father's heart by loving people as He's commanded, and I love them through His love, that's a good way to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, this this point of decision that she came to um, at one at one point along the a long point, uh, one point along the road, um, you know, she said sometimes doing the right thing involves losing money. Um, and I put people first and 
Right. And then God, God really blessed that decision. Um, she didn't have a mass exodus of employees, and uh, and over time, the Lord restored their revenues um, during a <clears throat> a challenging time in uh, in her business. And so, I do think that um, you know there there are times when the right thing to do is particularly hard. It's particularly difficult, but it doesn't make it any less right. Yeah, and all. I've been thinking about this lately. I actually spoke about it at our summit this month. That, and this is going to sound strange. These are deep waters, but here it is. There are many times in life you're going to have to give up being right to be righteous. Mm. That that you're not in the wrong. That um, moving forward would not be wrong. Um, you, you you are making good. You've been right. Uh, somebody's wronged you and you've been right, you're the one that they should be apologizing to, or you're the one who should be making more money or whatever the situation is, but you lay down that right to be right and choose instead to be humbled, to forgive first, to give instead of receive. You lay it down, the right to be right, to be righteous. That just reminds me of uh, what I like to call the the second mile love uh, that Jesus, you know, demands of us. I mean, you know, yes, the law might require that you uh, that you know that you only carry the burden of the Roman soldier a mile. <laughs> right. Like that that's what the law might require, um, and then you have the right, right? You you have the right to tell him you're not going to carry it another mile, um, but the opportunity to walk with him the second mile and demonstrate. Um, something different, a different kind of kingdom value, um, you know, go ahead and carry it the second mile as well. Right. Um, because it's it, it it's in that countercultural witness and testimony that we win the right or we win the opportunity to then talk about what motivates us differently than what motivates uh, the world. So, yeah, so good. So, yeah. so good. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, Kathy, but um, there's a lot of upheaval in the country right now. There's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot it's just a lot going on right now um yes, not only in, not only in our country but around the world and so i was right. just wondering if today we might just revisit you know like just in general like how do we pray for our nation how do we pray for yes. other nations in times of confusion and controversy and upheaval Oh, and we're going to get to talk about this so much over the next year. I'm so excited. Um, in light of everything going on in our nation, we announced the 2024 National Day of Prayer theme for next year that feeds right into this conversation. Awesome. Um, our theme for next year is lift up the word, light up the world. And lift up the word, light up the world. Because I just keep hearing the same thing we're talking about. Oh, the world's getting so dark. Oh, America's getting darker and darker and darker, right? I, I mean, we catch ourselves saying that on a weekly, if not daily basis. But the truth is, dark doesn't get darker. Darkness <laughs> right. is just dark. Darkness is actually an absence of light. Mm. And so, my friends, I step on my own toes um, as I started praying into this over the summer, that it's not that darkness is getting darker. It's that we somehow as the light 
Jesus said, where's the salt and the light? And he is the light of the world. Somehow we put a dimmer switch on ourselves, you know, that we've walked over and turned our hearts down because if we are living out, speaking out the word of God, not preferences and not cute platitudes, but if we are speaking the praise and the promises found in the word of God, if that's what we're praying and that's what we're saying and that's what we're living, then our world shines. And so this is really a rise and shine moment. How do we pray in these times of great controversy and turmoil and division? Well, we open the word of God and uh, let's begin. So the, the theme verses for this year are from 2 Samuel 22, verses 29 through 31. And they say, for you are my lamp, O Lord. And my God lightens my darkness. See, that's truth right there. God, you're my light. You're my lamp. I live in your light. Verse 30, for by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. And he is a shield for all these who take refuge in him. And so you take those verses and, and, and you uh, start to think about, and I've been praying about our audience and wondering what troop has come against you. What in life feels like, seems like an entire troop is attacking you, but you can run against them with God. What, what is that scenario? What wall do you need to be able to scale and climb over? What mountain do you need to climb? Because by God, with God, he is your light and he is your shield. You can. So whatever the situation, whatever the decision, whatever the diagnosis, whatever in this season of life, God has already gone before you. He's prepared you. He's prepared the good works. And he is the light. Uh, the, the scripture says, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. And so walking in truth, praying truth, believing truth, taking your shield of faith and your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we walk into each day and battle whatever the world has. Because uh, if God is for you, who can be against you? Kathy, that's so good. Second Samuel 22, 29 to 31. Those are um, the verses Kathy read and referenced. They uh, provide the theme for the 2024 National Day of Prayer. We're going to continue um, this conversation. What, what does it mean to lift up the word? What does it mean to light up the world? Is the word of God uh, the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path? Do you acknowledge and recognize that Jesus is the light of the world and then he turns to us and as his followers and says, go be shiny, let your light so shine before others, they would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Uh, let's, uh, let's do a little, uh, a little check of ourselves here. If it feels like it's getting darker around us, is it time to, I don't know, check your own personal dimmer switch? We'll continue mm -hmm. this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that uh, the followers of Christ would become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked or dark, perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to what? The word of life. We're going to continue our conversation here with Kathy Branzell, the uh, the theme that the National Day of Prayer Task Force has landed on for this upcoming year is lift up the word, light up the world. Um, and so when we recognize that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, how are we investing ourselves in the word of God that we might not only hold fast the word of life, but hold it out to others that uh, that they too might um, might see in the midst of the darkness in which they are currently living? Kathy, um, just continue to unpack for us this uh, light of the world or, or lift up the word light of the world theme. The connection there between the word of God and um, not only knowing the one who is the light of the world, but then turning as his disciples um, to light up the world around us. There's a there's a strong connection there. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, in the beginning was the word. Um, and the word was with God and the word was God. And so you can see the the connecting point um, here in lifting up Jesus, lifting up the name of Jesus, uh, living in the ways of Jesus, the love of Jesus, but and then going to the authority. That's a key word here, the authority in our life. Uh, life really did come with an instruction manual. So many people say, oh, I wish it had. Well, it did. And it's the word of God. It's your Bible. And whatever you are going through, whatever you're experiencing, whatever troubles you, there's a solution in the word of God. It's not just a rule book. It is the path to abundant life. And so in that, um, remember that we have a relationship, not a religion. We have a relationship um, with, with our God. And so how do we find out more in relationships? Uh, Carmen, you and I have been friends for a long time. And every time we're together, we learn something new about each mm -hmm. other. We, we love each other deeper. That happens in the word of God and in prayer. And so uh, think about what you're praying about. Think about what you're thinking about. Take every thought captive and say, is this truth, capital T truth, biblical truth, is it written? See, that's how even Jesus fought the enemy. Uh, Satan came up against him and tried to tempt him three times. We read that. And, and Jesus doesn't go into long some long platitude. He just says, it is written. 
he uses the word to fight the enemy. And that's what we can do because so many people are right now are speaking little T truth into our lives is really capital N nonsense. And in many ways, capital S sin. But if you're reading the B-I-B-L-E, you know where your feet, your thoughts, your heart ought to be. And so in praying the word, faith comes by hearing and speaking the word, uh, you are living in that light of that truth. And you can know, uh, so your foot doesn't go to the left or to the right. You don't start believing nonsense. You don't start buying into the sin of the world. But light shines and exposes that darkness. And you can walk in that light um, and be right in the center of the will of God um, and, and, and living this abundant and fruitful life. God says uh, at the very beginning, um, let there be light. Mm-hmm. And then we're reminded by uh, by John that uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, people didn't receive Jesus because they preferred darkness to light. Um, mm. Jesus says in John chapter five, "I am the light of the world." I'm also reminded that um, in in Micah, there's this wonderful, wonderful affirmation and acknowledgement. Uh, Micah seven eight, though I sit in darkness the Lord will be my light. Mm. Um, and so if you're sitting in darkness right now, you just, you just recognize that, um, that the darkness has encroached upon you. Yep. Um, like maybe even just sit there and sing that incredibly affirmative children's song, this little light of mine. Like, right? I mean, yes. there are some times, Kathy, when we feel pretty alone um, in this, in in this life and 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 there is power to sitting with one candle in the darkness and declaring this little light of mine i i am going to let it shine right rise and shine yes mm, it's good rise and shine and give god the glory um oh those yeah. are so good those are so good all right let's be people of singing faith let's be people of biblical faith let's uh, let's remind ourselves of these affirmations. Micah 7, 8 is a great one. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Psalm eighteen twenty eight. you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. Uh, yes. God, please turn my darkness into light. Um, so many wonderful affirmations of scripture. Kathy, um, as always, thank you so much um, for joining us today. Again, lots of resources for you at nationaldayofprayer.org. Invite you to begin Praying now toward the 2024 uh, theme, uh, lift up the word, light up the world. Um, Maybe we'll just be focusing on passages of Scripture about Scripture and passages of Scripture about about light and being, uh, being people who represent the light of Christ to the world that he so loves. So how are you going to lift up the word and light up the world today? Like, let's just be thinking about how you and I might be um, lights shining in darkness, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2. Um, How are we going to allow the word of God to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Psalm 119, 105? How are you going to go be shiny today? How are you going to let your light so shine before others that other people would see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Um, it might seem like, it might feel like the darkness is getting darker, but, um, you know, it's not as if the light has gone out. Like, Jesus, the light of the world has come. 
Um, and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Yes, there are moments in time when it feels like people are preferring the darkness to the light. Um, but that's just an opportunity for you and I to, again, go be shiny. So what does that look like in your life today? What does that look like in your family? What does it look like in your place of work? What does it look like in the conversations um, you're going to have today? And maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm, I, I don't even know that I'll have a conversation today. I'm um, feeling pretty alone in the world right now. Well, then how is all of this going to be reflected in your prayer life? Um, because God is available right now, closer to you than your next breath. And he's, he's waiting. He's longing. He'd love to hear from you. Um, open your mouth today to the Lord. Declare his praises. Acknowledge um, your particular need. It's okay to be sitting there um, and singing as a child of God, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Holy God, don't let Satan blow it out. Help me to shine the light of your love today in the, um, in the spirit of Jesus. Don't let the darkness encroach any further, God. Shine, shine the light of your creative power, your love and your glory into my life anew and afresh today. Open your word before me that it could be um, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then open the word of God, my friend. Um, let God speak to you um, and, and light up your world that you could lift up his word and light up the world for others. We got another hour together coming up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.